then it's impossible to post at exactly the right time because everybody's online at different times, right? And so just just get it out there. Just post it. See what happens and see, see if you can get people to engage with you. Find ways to connect. Follow people you like. Reshare their stuff. See if you can get any sort of connection with anyone and start building out a network. And then figure out what works best in that network. Welcome to the Food for Thought Lunch Break with Steve Bookbinder podcast, the show that gives you things to think about when you're trying to make more sales without all the seriousness of conventional sales talks. Enjoy and learn as he makes fun of sales training, salespeople, and sales trainers, including himself, all while giving you battle-tested strategies that work. Now, here's your host, Steve Bookbinder. Hi, everybody. This is Steve Bookbinder, your sales coach. Today, I am joined by Kyle Jepson of HubSpot. And of all the people that we've interviewed, some of whom, all of whom are the kinds of people that I've learned from, and this is my promise to you, I want to introduce you to the very people who influenced me. Well, Kyle is one of those people and his company is. And in full disclosure, we are a customer of HubSpot. But the reason I'm excited to work with Kyle, and I reached out to him to work with him more than just being a customer, is I have found that our company was able to move from a very, very small company to a kind of company that can attract very big clients. And it was very much as a result of working with HubSpot and as a result, changing our sales strategy. This is sort of ironic for a sales training company to change from a classic sale of cold call and pick up the phone to content marketing. My energy goes in a very different way and our lead flow has improved as a result of that. And I think we're also... Prospecting now brings value to the customer as opposed to a cold call, which probably doesn't bring as much value. Anyway, so full disclosure, we are working with them, but I'm very excited to introduce you uh, to Kyle, and we're going to have a great conversation. Kyle, tell us a little bit about your background. And how, how did you end up at HubSpot? And then could you describe for people who don't know, tell us about HubSpot. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. So HubSpot is a front office software company. We, we make tools for marketers, tools for salespeople, and tools for service folks. And I've been at HubSpot since 2015, so I guess a little over four years. Uh, Prior to that, I I worked at a different software company, a little startup, got some sales experience, got some customer service experience, did several different things. And then when I came to HubSpot, I entered through the, the services org. HubSpot in 2015 had just launched their CRM. It was less than a year old, and it had its own dedicated support team we were really the only people in the company who knew how the thing worked. And when the, the, the marketing tools and the sales tools got pulled together into a single suite of tools, our CEO said, we're combining the service organizations. And we had this thing called HubSpot Academy, which was really online learning for marketers, how to do inbound marketing sorts of things. But our CEO said, if we're going to have a CRM, we need sales education too. And so I raised my hand and said, hey, I can teach people how to use a CRM. And so... That was my first charter, create a course about how to use HubSpot CRM. And I did. That's now called the the HubSpot sales software certification. And once I joined that team, I became the de facto sales guy. But I have honestly limited sales experience uh, just at that one startup. And so the the track I've taken is I've interviewed a lot of people. That's how I first met you, Steve. We we did a webinar together, I think, and and try to collect sales experience from wherever it exists in the world and bring it together under one roof. And so that's, that's what I've been doing for the last few years at HubSpot Academy. And it's what I 
intend to keep doing, perhaps until I die. I love my job, and I think I'll be here a long time. Oh, that's great. So you're working with people who go from they don't know anything or they have a little bit of knowledge, and, and, you, and, and through the education that you provide, they learn a lot. What is some of the things that people who have not yet been through the academy, what are some of the things they don't know that they end up learning or, or misconceptions about inbound marketing that they end up learning about? Yeah, so I think perhaps the biggest misconception that I am personally trying to fight against is is a lot of folks think inbound is this thing that marketers do and marketers can do their marketing thing and that's fine. I in sales can keep doing these tried and true methods of you know cold calling and knocking on doors and forcing myself in front of people and, and have the same results that that the salespeople of, of yore had. And the truth is the world has changed a lot. Uh, B2B has been a little slower changing than B2C, but it's going the same route. People buy things on the internet. They research them before they buy, and they are much more likely to buy something if their friends like it than if none of their friends have ever heard of it. And so I think getting people to adapt to this idea that that buyers are, are smart and they have a lot of resources at their hands, and they're only going to get frustrated if you try to play a cup and balls game and, and hide information from them. What's, what's going to win today is, is transparency and, and a, a customer service mindset. And as you do that, you can unlock this, this amazing effect where your happy customers will hop online and tell their friends how much they love you, and then their friends will buy from you. And it'll actually be far less work for you as a salesperson to, to sell than if you had just sourced those leads yourself and done the manual, the manual process. So I think marketing and sales working together, understanding where, where potential customers are online and channeling the customer's voice uh, to be a champion for you is, is that's the story that, that, that that's the tactic that we, we teach people to follow at HubSpot Academy and, and we're hoping to reach as many people as possible. Wow, that's a great answer and I wanna unpack it. First on a very high level. So the notion of marketing and sales working closely together. Historically, these are two departments that might as well have been on two different countries yeah. <laughs> working for two different companies. But now they have to work together. So wh- what do you see when you see them working together? What are some of, the, if somebody says, well, I think our marketing department works pretty well with our sales. What, what do you see as the ideal integration of those two departments? I think if you can rally both departments around a single set of goals, that unlocks a huge amount of potential. One of the, I mean, even if you aren't in that classical world of marketing sits over here and sales sits over there and never the twain shall meet, right? If they're in meetings together, if they're talking to each other, but if they're chasing different goals, if marketing is measured, you know, on on website visits and and new leads, while sales is measured on the thing sales is always measured on, which is revenue, there's a disconnect there. And it's really hard to prove the value of the marketing team to the sales team and make the sales team even care about what the marketing team is doing. And so I think if you can rally them all around revenue and tie marketing efforts to sales outcomes, then then things then then you have actual alignment. You don't just have lip service. Okay. When I first started teaching digital marketing, I'm, 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 I'm getting a, a running start into my next question. When I first started teaching digital marketing, it was after a long period of time of me scratching my head going, hey, what? What are they talking about? What does that word mean? And there was so much I didn't know. And it was literally three years before I went, oh, I now understand it enough. 
Of, of course, it changes enough that it keeps us employed. And, but our programs are different today than they were even a year ago, let alone two years ago. So things are changing. But the, my point is, I remember what it was like to not know. Well, I also remember what it was like when Molly, who's on our team, works for us, uh, came to me and said, you know what, we should be thinking about inbound marketing. And all I thought of when I just heard that expression was, that's a fantasy. You mean, in, wait a minute. You mean the phone rings and somebody wants to talk to me? That, that only happens in my dreams. If I'm lucky, I'm having a happy dream like that. But now that I, I do it and, and, and we've really devoted our time in that way, I do see, and that's why I'm so um, supportive of HubSpot and your mission, I do see that working. And you know, this is, I teach people how to pick up the phone, how to turn around the objection. But I also recognize it's better if you don't have an objection in the first place. It's actually better if they wanted to talk to you. Well, that, but now, so, so this is what I want you to respond to. Our studies indicate that somewhere, depending on the study, 50 to 75% of B2B buyers are buying like consumer buyers, that they are deciding what they're shopping, if you will, gaining information, kind of moving down from the top of the funnel to the middle of the funnel before they talk to salespeople, which means they're going to have an opinion by the time they talk to a salesperson. And and when they finally talk to a salesperson, it isn't because they are starting the process, it's because they're the middle of the process. So that's a whole different thing. But can you help from your side? What what are the mechanics? So I, I put some content, potentially helpful, potentially relevant content, I put it out there for my potential lead to see. What is the magic or what is the science behind? How does that content turn into a lead for those people who are like me? They're skeptical that this thing really works. Well, what is that connection between that? Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, kind of like you just said, uh, people are, are doing research. People are deciding, they're realizing I, I have a pain. I have a need of some kind. Surely there's a solution out there somewhere. They go to Google, they look around and they start educating themselves on how to solve their problem. And and by the time they're actually talking to vendors, they already, they already get the landscape. They already know the basics and they, they've reached the end of what they're able to do for themselves. And they are, they are reaching out for someone to help them through the rest of the way. And, and the sad reality is on the sales floor, mostly we have a product and we believe somewhere out there are people who want to buy this product. But we look out in the world and we can't tell the difference between who wants it and who doesn't. So we just assume everybody wants it and we try to convince them that what they really want is this product. And it doesn't work because there's all these people out there who already know they want the product and would love to talk to us. And so inbound marketing really seeks to to bridge that gap. If that first moment when someone says, hey, I wonder if there's a product that does this sort of thing or, oh, you know what really bothers me? This thing really bothers me. Has anybody thought about how that really bothers me? And they hop on the internet if you're the website that comes up that says, hey, here are five tips or here's you know, some sort of resource or something that will help you sort through your problem, well, now you're the person who answers their questions, right? And they may not be ready to buy today. They might not be ready to buy you know, for three years from now, depending on, on the sort of product you sell, but your content becomes a resource for them and you start becoming the place they go for answers so that when they get to that point where they realize, okay, self-education has gotten me as far as it's going to I need to buy something or, or hire a service that will, will get me the rest of the way there. Well, you're the name they're going to think of because you're the one you've, they've been coming to for answers. And then, yes, the phone does ring or the email comes in or the form gets submitted or the chat pops up or, or whatever, whatever you know, venue you give them for contacting you. Mm. They will feel comfortable reaching out to you because even, 
even though you, the salesperson, haven't done a thing, they they trust your your company and your brand, and and you are seen as a resource and a, and a, a, a sort of consult a counselor to them, and they can uh, they they can build on this relationship that that they built all by themselves with your company, mm-hmm. and so that's that's where the mechanics start to come in. Whereas on the other hand, if someone has done all this research and they decide you know what, I'm ready to buy a thing, and that's the first time they hear of your company, then then there's a lot of relationship building that has to happen. And the, the worst part about it is a lot of companies are not only not doing inbound marketing, but they're doing the opposite, right? I hop on a website, hey, I think I want to buy this thing. I've looked at several different vendors. I'm just kind of comparing features and, and pricing here. I hop on your website, you don't have any pricing. You don't have any details about the <laughs> the. the the, the features you offer. All you have is, is you know, your little slogan saying you're the best and a, a request a quote button. Well, I don't want to request a quote if I don't know how much it's going to cost, if I don't have some sense of what you're going to offer me, right? I, I know that's a guaranteed way to get caught up in a conversation with a salesperson who's just going to try to stiff arm me into giving them money. Whereas if I've been reading your content and I trust your thought leadership and I say, this company sees the world the way I see it and they offer the sorts of solutions that solve my problem, then the sales process can be relatively easy. There might be a lot of logistics to iron out. If it's a really complicated product, a really expensive one, there, there will certainly be some, some, some details we have to work through, but there's not going to be that adversarial relationship of you should buy. No, I don't want to. It should cost this much. No, I don't want to pay that much. Or you could just, all of that can be done before you even begin talking to someone. And that's, that's the hope and the, the theory of inbound. Mm. Very interesting that you would say that you'd point out this. If everything is working, uh, that is to say your inbound marketing campaign is working. But if you think about your website, like, like plumbing, if the plumbing isn't right, if there's leaky pipes, if the lead is falling through. And like you say, if the, if the motivation of the buyer who's willing to take a half inch more of a step is to get more information, but they can't get it in that self-service online, just find it on your website kind of way, that it's not that the inbound didn't work, it's that it, it actually worked better because it exposed a leaky, a, a leaky uh, plumbing problem. That yeah, yeah. Well, I could totally see how that would work. So it feels to me, as I go around the world, you know, we work with companies across, big companies, global companies, small companies, companies that are headquartered in this country and companies in other countries. So a routine question for us is, do you run inbound marketing? And almost everybody will say something, like probably a different answer a couple of years ago, but right now everybody was, oh yeah, no, we do. It's a devil in the detail, a spectrum kind of a thing. Because the thing that I'm finding for 80%, 90% of those companies are, on the one hand, they're telling me they do inbound market. On the other hand, they go, yeah, we don't make enough appointments. Oh, really? Why not? Well, we don't have enough leads. I thought you said you're running inbound marketing. Well, we are, but there's two kinds of leads. There's marketing qualified, and there's these sale, sales qualified. The hand literally up, please contact me. I'm giving you permission. But the vast majority are the marketing qualified leads. I'm finding that salespeople are jumping on those as if they're sales qualified. So they're going, hey, I saw you downloaded this piece of content. Can we meet? You know, it's like, (laughs) it'd be like, you know, it's like a crazy, like a date. If it was dating, it would be, I saw you through the window. You want to go on a date. So what advice do you have for salespeople who are getting these leads? Maybe their company doesn't build it out, the program out right, or doesn't give them the right leads. Should salespeople even get marketing qualified leads? And how how should they be nurtured? Sure, yeah. So it, I mean... It depends a lot. It, 
inbound can sometimes take a while to mature. You've got to figure out what sort of content are people actually interested in. You've got to figure out your positioning and how to like the SEO stuff, how to get it out there. That can take a little while to figure out. But if you've got those sort of table stakes, if you've, if you've got the, the basics figured out and you have those leads coming in, then what you really can do is start to get pretty, pretty intelligent about the sorts of leads you send to sales. And if you th- if there, there are two different ways you can divide your leads. And if you have enough lead volume, I think doing both is, is good. One is, are they a good fit? And hopefully, whatever information you're collecting about the people through your inbound channels is enough for you to determine pretty quickly, is this the sort of person we sell to? You know, if, if you're a B2B company, that might be something like industry or company size. If you're B2C, it'll be directly related to whatever sort of product it is you sell. And you can probably binarily categorize good fit, bad fit. And, and a lot of people, a lot of companies, that's all they do. And this is a good fit. And to your point, like, oh, this is a good fit lead who read our blog post. We should call them and try to sell to them. And no, they're not ready. And that's the other division. Is this a person who's looking to buy now? Or are they, are they not to that point yet? And if you can divide your leads additionally into sales ready and not ready, then you get four categories, right? And the leads that are a good fit and sales ready, absolutely. Send those straight to sales. Have sales reach out as quickly as possible. If this is a person who who is behaving like they want to buy now, don't make them wait, right? Get, get in with them as quickly as you can. On the other hand, if they're a good fit, but they're not showing signs that they're ready to buy, I mean, depending on how hungry your sales team is for leads, you can involve sales there, but make them understand this is not a time to reach out and try to, try to sell someone, try to get them to buy something. Now is the time to, to present yourself as, as a coach or a, a mentor who can help them on their journey, right? Supply more resources, ask them if they have questions, see what help they need so that they're in contact with you when they get to that sales ready point. And then the other two categories are people that are not a good fit. And if someone is not a good fit and they're not looking to buy, Honestly, those leads should not even exist. If you're getting a lot of those, there's something wrong with, with the, the source of people you're attracting and you need to rethink that. Um, if you get someone who's really not a good fit, but they're really interested in buying, I think it's worth sales reaching out to them if sales has the bandwidth to do so. Because talking to them, you might figure out, oh, you know what? The way we define good fit, bad fit is actually wrong because this person's a great fit and, and our, our criteria said they weren't. We need to update that. Or on the other hand, you might find someone who's, who's not a traditional customer, you wouldn't want to reorganize your lead model to say this is a good fit person, but, but they're in some unique circumstance and they're really interested in buying and they love your company or your product for whatever reason. And yeah, let's give it a try, you know? And so that's the way I would, I would consider thinking about it. I think that the trouble a lot of people run into is they get the, the inbound engine sort of coming, going and all these people are coming in through the website and it's just a list of names and sales does what it's always done with a list of names, which is just call all of them. And these people are confused. Wait, who, who are you? Why are you reaching out? I just, I just downloaded a white paper about something. I didn't think I was signing up for a sales call. And that's, that's going to do way more harm than good. Because now, now it's, it's, a, it's a sort of an obvious trick. I didn't really yeah. want you to download the white paper. I just wanted you to give me permission to call you. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, if, so let's give people an understanding, uh, a feel for the timeline. Let's say I'm a company and I want to do inbound. I'm not, I don't have HubSpot. So I don't have the technology in place, but I have this aspiration I'd like to have inbound. So what do I have to do? I have to get a marketing platform. So I I contact HubSpot, I arrange for it, and now I have it. But now what's going to happen and how long is it going to take for for me to get my first inbound lead? That's a fair question. And I think it'll vary a lot industry to industry. I would say, honestly, (laughs) this is an odd thing for a HubSpot representative to say, I guess, but like, 
buying HubSpot shouldn't be your first step, right? Like start, start a blog for free somewhere, get a WordPress site and, and just start putting some content out there and see if the, if the story you're telling or, or the message you're sharing is something people are interested in. If it is, you'll find them pretty quickly. They'll start commenting, they'll start interacting. And then you'll say, aha, I, I have proof of concept here. Now, yeah, go ahead, buy HubSpot, add fuel to that fire. But if you put it out there and, and it's crickets and nobody's really listening, well, maybe, you know, take a look at who else is in the space and what are they saying? Are you saying the exact same thing as 20 other companies who have been saying it for 10 years? Well, that's going to be hard to cut through because they, they've been doing it for longer than you, you know? Or you, so, so really try to find a niche, find a way to, to say something in a different way or say something to a group of people who are getting ignored by the, the incumbents in your space, right? Like what, what leads, what, what possible customers are, are the big players in your space leaving behind? And write a blog for those folks. See if you can get them to come talk to you about like, yeah, these companies, they don't care about me. And now, now you, you, have, you have people you have, uh, who will become fans, right? And then again, yeah, buy HubSpot, put fuel on that fire, grow it. But, but find, a, find a voice, find a space that, that isn't inhabited. The, the, the internet is a crowded and noisy place. And so your first idea might not be the winner, right? And it would be kind of a tragedy to invest in, in a marketing automation platform and hire a couple of full-time bloggers if you're telling a story that's already played out and, and, and people are tired mm. of. And so I think that that first part put a lot of thought into, you know, we're not just a, we're not just a company that sells whatever thing we sell, but, but we're, we are people who have ideas that we want to share with the world, right? And, and experiment with them. Start a blog. Start, start a, a, a podcast. Start a, a do, do stuff on YouTube. People love videos. Videos are great. And if you could just throw together some even really low production value videos, but that add value in some way by explaining something that's complicated or making something that's really hard and 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 painful seem easy or or funny especially then you'll start to to attract attention and then people will start coming and that's the beginning of inbound just finding things that actually interest people finding ways you can provide value in little bits for free that'll give people a taste of what you do right mm. if you sell if you sell waterproof cell phone cases let's say you can set up a kiosk in the mall and you can accost every person who walks by but you could also start a blog about Warranty information, right? How to dry out your, your phone that you dropped in a puddle or, or is water damage covered by my iPhone warranty? And as people start searching for those things, they, they get the answers for their immediate pain and they realize, oh, if I had bought that waterproof cell phone case, I wouldn't be in this problem right now, right? right and right. so it's just like figure out how can you make people's lives a little happier, a little easier, a little clearer. And that's the sort of value you're going to add through your, your inbound efforts. And then when people have actual business propositions where money might change hands, you're going to be top of mind for them. They won't even have to look at your competitors because they know you're, you're the person who, who helps me get things done. Mm, I love the way you said that. <clears throat> and there's a lot of pieces to what you just said, and I just want to underline them. So the first thing is you really have to think about helping somebody. What could I be that would be helpful potentially? And, and then I've got to move that thought into getting that voice, creating that content, free content seeing if I can get anybody to come interest, uh, be interested in it. And I think that's exactly right. You also said something earlier. You were describing what probably happens internally, where somebody, one coworker says to the other, what are we going to do about the blah, blah, blah problem? Or, you know, or next year we got a big goal. We, we've got to really 
think about doing some something to change to address that. So there's some internal conversation. And, and there may be a particular word choice to that, that, that conversation where they may use a particular word. What are we going to do about onboarding new people or something like that? And I say it like that because I think that then impacts, they're going to go online, they're going to go to Google, they're going to type in a keyword, but which word? Like in our case, we do sales coaching. So we coach salespeople. But if I just simply put up words that are content that from an SEO perspective, would my content would rank for, let's say, coaching. Well, lots of people put in coaching. They have nothing to do with sales coaching. I want physical. Co- I want a physical coach. I want a personal trainer, or I want to be coached about something that's unrelated to sales. So we found that yeah, that we, we could come up with great content for coaching, but th- unless you have the content, you really got to do your online research first. What are those keywords that you want to rank for? Because ultimately, who's ever going to look has got to reduce down their ask into keywords, and you got to be relevant for those keywords. They got to find your content. They got to find your site. But you maybe do. You may do a, as we did. We we attracted leads we couldn't use just because those people were looking for something else than, than what we have. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you you gotta. It's it's the thing about inbound, and and you sort of touched on this earlier. Is you're gonna be reinventing your your stance and your company and your your voice on an ongoing basis. You're gonna be evolving over time. You can't say you know. Today, whatever today's date is, we we know exactly what we're going to do, and we're going to do it this way forever, right? Because a year from now, everything will have changed, and there will be seven new companies in your space saying the same sort of thing, and you've got to figure out, well, now what? In this new world, in this new environment, how do I add more value? Right. And I think I think to your point, Steve, doing a little bit of online research is really really helpful because. What I'm finding that as a, as a creative person is sort of terrifying. Sometimes I'll think, I have a great idea. And I've gotten in the habit of like, here's this great idea. I'm going to Google it before I do anything. And you know what? Someone's always thought of it before me. <laughs> and so, okay, well, let's see what they said. And what can I add beyond it, right? What did they miss? Or what is the next step or evolution of this thing, right? Don't write something that someone else has already written. That's just wasting time. But, but the world is a fast moving place and new ideas are coming up all the time. And if you can have the next one, the next iteration, if you can say, yes, lots of people have said, do this, this is step one. But did you know step two is this? Or did you know there might be this unintended side effect? And here's how you can counteract that, right? Just just being, or take whatever that good idea is. And if it's already mm. taken, f- figure out, okay, what's next? Mm. Then then add that. And and I think, I think that's good. Whereas I think if we just rely on our intuitions and say, you know what I would like to read about? I would like to read a blog about this. I love the sound of my own voice. Here I yeah. go, writing, writing, writing. You'll attract you. You'll attract maybe your mom or, or your, your widowed aunt. Two <laughs> people, right. <laughs> but uh, but that's, not, that's not a way to, to grow a business. Yeah. Oh, that is, that, you know, I see that in sales training. All the, the, the most common thing that people say to me is, you know, if I was the customer, I would like, <laughs> like stop, you're not the customer. They're not, first of all, they're not salespeople. Right. You think like a salesperson. They don't, so they right away you're going to be completely- Right, and the customer is also not a hypothetical construct, right? It's so easy to sit around and say, I'm going to define a buyer persona. I'm going to define them as somebody who loves me and wants to buy my things, right? Like, good, I hope there are people like that, but how about you go talk to some of your actual customers and ask them, why, why did you buy from me? Are you happy you bought from me? Like, what, what would it take for, for, for my product to be good enough for you to tell your friends to come and buy from me? And, and be willing to take some hard feedback. People might tell you, you know, I thought I was getting this and you actually gave me that. And I'm, I'm not super happy about that. Like, oh, well, can we offer that other thing? Or, or can we be clearer about what we're actually offering if we can't offer the thing people want? 
And yeah, your, your customers are such a huge resource in so many ways. And I think in the world of sales in particular, you, you get the, the sale and then you're done and you forget, no, this person is just at the beginning of their journey. And there are all sorts of things they can learn that I could then pass forward to, to other people in their position and, and maybe, you know, provide the insight they're looking for. It's, it's, that sounds like a great advice. Talk to your customer. I mean, it's sort of obvious as you're saying it, but talk to the, why did you buy? I know why I was hoping you bought. I was hoping yeah. that that <laughs> smile worked, but that wasn't yeah. even it probably. It was, <laughs> I thought the way I shook your hand was the thing. That had nothing to do with it. And also, I'm guessing that as you start to do that, you realize there isn't just one kind of customer. There's probably 50 kinds of customers for right. a variety of reasons. Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, of those 50, 20 types of customers are super happy. Uh, and, and so maybe just focus on those, right? For a little while. And once you get that figured out, well, okay, what are these other 30 types of customers? And, and see how many ways you can tweak the experience and, and get it just right for, for as many folks as possible. You mentioned about a salesperson uh, creating their own content rather than just uh, like a mass mail, like a template that you goes to every single person on your database but maybe creating content. Could you just ex expand on that a little bit more? Sure, yeah. So uh, this, again, will depend a lot on your circumstance, right? If you have, if you work at a place with a, a strong content marketing team who's pumping out content, great. You can probably just curate that. And if you have high lead flow and you're on the phone with customers all day, every day, maybe you don't have time to write a lot of content. But the reality for a lot of salespeople is they're only spending about a third of their time actually selling. They've got all these other administrative tasks and things they have to do. And if somewhere in there, you can write a helpful piece of content. If you are typing out an email that you've written dozens of times, or you're copy and pasting it because you've written it dozens of times, maybe it's time to turn that into a blog post, right? And then as you get in, in contact with people, you can say, here's this blog post I wrote that answers that very question. Meanwhile, that blog post is, circula is circulating on the internet and might attract new people to you. Um, also, as a salesperson, I, I hope you're deeply curious about the industry you're in and you're always reading and learning things and, and share that with the people you're, you're having conversations with or the people you want to have conversations with, right? There's this idea of social selling where, where you connect with people online and, and, and provide information to have this ongoing conversation, not, not with an eye of closing a deal this month or this quarter, but just with an eye of, of making people understand that you exist and that you have ideas that are worth listening to and, and that you're involved in the conversation of the industry and that you have insights to share. And as you do that, then even if you aren't, you know, if you legitimately don't have time to sit down and write a blog post every day, which would be remarkable if you're a salesperson, you can write a blog post every single day. Right. <laughs> but I mean, it, it, what little writing you can do make sure it's saving you trouble later on, right? Like I have this email I'm sending all the time. I'll turn it into a blog post and I just have to email a link to people. And then I can also share it on my social channels and see if I get any leads that way. Or, you know, oh, I read this great article. I thought it was really interesting. I'm going to share that with, with people. You know, this, this prospect that was really great, but has gone cold, maybe just as a gentle way to restart the conversation, I can say, hey, just read this article. Wondered if you'd had a chance to see it. Do you have any thoughts on it? Now the conversation is there. And once the conversation is happening, you can, you can steer it back to the idea of sales and see, hey, are you still interested? But to simultaneously jumpstart a conversation that either isn't going or has died and try to ask someone for money, it's just, it's a huge leap and it's very difficult to do. Right. Content can help you bridge that gap. Hey, regardless of whether you're looking to buy from me or not, whatever, hey, as, as your you, you know, consultant friend here, here's, here's an article I thought you would enjoy. Let me know what you think. Now, now you're providing value and they're going to remember, hey, this, this, 
this salesperson isn't so salesy. They, I, I think I can maybe talk to them about stuff. Yeah, yeah. Two questions that I get when I talk about this topic to my clients, sort of mechanical. They always, no matter how much, when you tell the message, be creative, think out of the box. It's always, okay, I kind of got to, what are the two things I need to do all the time? So I was, <laughs> so the two qu questions I get is, what form of content? Is it written? Is it video? Is, which, is there one that works better from, from your experience and your company's measurement? And also, and this is crazy, but I get this more than anything. What day of the week? Is there, <laughs> should I do it on Monday? Is there a Friday better? Should you avoid Fridays? And people, people can knock out the whole week because they look at their own schedule. Well, I know I don't like to look at it on a Monday and I'm kind of out the door on Friday. In the middle of the week, I'm busy. Like you could knock out every week. So type of content, day of the week, is there any uh, significance? Sure. So type of content, I personally have become a big fan of video lately. I mean, I, I've been hearing for a couple of years now, video is the next big thing and there will be more video than text and everybody, video, everything. But, but what I've discovered, the thing that people forget to mention is I can talk a lot faster than I can type, right? If I'm going to sit down and write a blog post, it's going to take me a while. I'm going to have to edit it. And honestly, it might never get out the door. But if I just sit down and shoot a video, off it goes into the internet, you know? And, and the thing is, video is more engaging. I've, I've been playing around lately just on my personal channel on posting videos on LinkedIn. And like my LinkedIn reach has always been close to zero. Suddenly, I'm doing these little videos and, and getting thousands of views. And apparently, LinkedIn likes video. Who knew, right? And the thing is, it's so much easier than writing a blog post because I can just, I have these ideas. I just hit record on my computer. Here are my ideas, internet. Tell me what you think and post it on LinkedIn and I'm done. And so I think maybe, maybe the real lesson there is just find out what works for you, right? I can imagine some people aren't comfortable on video that, oh, I hate the sound of my own voice kind of, and, and like, that's fine. If you don't like it, the typing might work better for you. But the, the thing I've found personally is that video is really easy to make. I have a webcam on my computer, right? I just hit record and off I go. And the LinkedIn algorithm right now really seems to like video. <laughs> Still today, when I, when I post something that's just text, no uptake. When I post a video, everybody watches it. And so I really like video. And, and I would definitely encourage people to, to play around with it, right? You don't need a fancy mic and a nice camera and lights and, and, and the whole setup. You can just start small and see how it goes. And this is, a, this is an easy way to put your toe in the water trying to get to be part of the conversation, right? Say something that you think people might disagree with or that you think is insightful and see if you, you can spark any conversation there. Not that you should be overtly controversial unless that's your personal brand, but I'm just saying like, like say, right. say something that people might want to engage with. As for day of the week, that one's hard. And I am, I am not convinced there is a hard science to, to the right day of the week. Just because like you'll read one study found, oh, when you, you, if you post you know, on Facebook on Tuesday, it's better than Wednesday. And the, then another one will be like, no, Thursday is the right day. And honestly, what I've found for me personally, again, is that if I say every week I'm going to post on Thursday and then I have a really busy Thursday, that means I don't post that week, <laughs> right? I think it's best write or record or whatever you do when you're passionate and then just get it out the door, right? Don't spend forever polishing it. Don't wait for the perfect day of the week because what's really going to build an audience is getting content out there, even if it's not the ideal day of the week, right? And if you do it enough times and if, you're, if you pay enough attention, you'll start to notice patterns, right? Because 
I keep talking about LinkedIn because LinkedIn is the, <laughs> the platform I'm most excited about right now. The thing is, the uptake is going to depend a lot on your personal LinkedIn network, right? Who, where are these people located? What's, what sort of industries are they working in? You know, if you're in a, uh, an industry that works around the clock or if you have contacts all around the world, then it's impossible to post at exactly the right time because everybody's online at different times, right? And so just, just get it out there. Just post it. See what happens and see, see if you can get people to engage with you. Find ways to connect. Follow people you like. Reshare their stuff. See if you can get any sort of connection with anyone and start building out a network. And then figure out what works best in that network. The people who have agreed to connect with you, who are at least nominally interested in consuming your content, see what they engage with and do more of that. See what they don't engage with. Do less of that and, and you'll just iterate your way toward, toward a better place. Nice. Great. I could talk to you for three hours, but, I'm, but uh, <laughs> I, I, we'll hold off for another interview. I have two more questions. Thank you so much. I love your energy, Kyle. Advice for marketers. What, what advice can you, can you give marketers? And if you could swing it either way, are you, are you doing an inbound campaign now? If so, if you're not, then here's what you what, what, what want. What could you tell the marketers? Yeah, my, my favorite piece of advice to give to marketers is to not be so scared of your sales department. Because uh, marketers do tend to be scared of sales and they have every reason to be, right? The sales floor, it seems like it's full of really aggressive people who are always on a really hard deadline. And it's a scary place to go. And if you say, hey, I have this marketing idea for a campaign or I'm doing this inbound thing, they hear blah, blah, blah marketing stuff and they say, go away. The way to get through to your sales team is get a salesperson, any salesperson, and just ask them one question. What's stopping you from selling? Because every salesperson has a long list of things that's stopping them from selling. Oh, this is terrible. And oh, this doesn't work. And can you believe they make me do this? And, can you, and, and, and get five, get 10, get as many things as you can. And a lot of it, you know, you're not going to be able to fix. If they're like, oh, our CRM system is garbage. You as the marketer aren't going to be able to fix that. But maybe somewhere on that list, there's one thing you can do. Find that one thing and go do it and come back and say, hey, I did that thing. And the salesperson could be like, whoa, this person may be a marketer, but they get stuff done. I like this person, right? Mm -hmm. And now you've opened a collaboration and you can be like, hey, what questions are you getting a lot that I can, uh, I can write some content on? Or what, what thing do you feel like people just aren't getting? What do we need more explanation around? Or where, where are we losing? Like, why, why are people going with our competitors? What, what could I offer that would, would help with that? And, and the salesperson, knowing that you're the sort of marketer who gets stuff done, will open up to you and will work with you on that because they now see, ha, ah, this is going to help me check off more of those things that, that stop me from selling. So I think marketers... It's easy for everyone in the company to talk about how marketing and sales need to work better together. I think that's generally understood. I think what's not understood is it's up to the marketers to bridge that divide, which is unfortunate because the marketers all feel like they've tried and been rejected and it's never going to happen. But just meet the salespeople on their own terms. Ask them what's stopping them from selling and then prove yourself to be a, a problem solver. And that's where the, mar the magic starts. Nice. Great. One last question. I end every interview with this question. Salespeople... You know, it's hard to be in sales. No, even if you have great leads, most leads don't result in a sale. Most things don't result in a sale. Almost everything fails, just statistically. What advice can you give to salespeople? I, I, so just like I would, I, I encourage the marketers to reach out to the salespeople. Salespeople, I really think you should reach out to your customers. We already, we already touched on this a little bit. And I think probably because salespeople, every salesperson faces a sea of rejection every day, right? Like I... I, my, my stint in sales was very short because I couldn't handle it. Right. I like, I, I, I need something with, with, uh, you know, 
less rejection and failure. But I, I, I highly admire anyone who can thrive in, in that, that circumstance. But I think once you close a deal with someone, you have a pretty good relationship with that person right then. And, and it's easy to be relieved and whew, we made it and, and now on to the next thing. But just ask them that question, why did you buy? And check in with them a few months later and be like, hey, are you happy you bought? And it might be a little more rejection, a little more pain you have to take, but you might also learn things you didn't know. And that's going to help you in future sales conversations. Because then when people start bringing up concerns, you can say, aha, you know what? I was just talking to someone. They were in your shoes six months ago. And you know what they found? They found out this thing they didn't expect, this thing they couldn't imagine happened. And, and that's why they're happy. They were. So like, I understand you have all these other concerns. I understand you have all these questions, but just think about this, this thing, right? And if you can tell that as a, a personal relationship, a thing you can personally attest to rather than like, here are our five case studies that our marketing department has polished to perfection. But just like have, you know, the more of these you can have. Yeah, this person said that and that person said that. And you know, I've heard so many times this thing that builds your, your credibility and, and it also gives you empathy for like, buying is scary, right? Like sales, you face a lot of rejection, but buying, like you don't, especially in B2B, you don't want to be the person who bought a big expensive thing for your company that doesn't work, right? And so you need reassurance. You need to, uh, the, the customers really want to know that you understand that they've got skin in the game and that, that they have stakes also, right? As a salesperson, like, you know, if I don't close this deal, I don't get to pay rent. Uh, for the buyers, like, hey, if this goes south, I might lose my job. And so you have a lot of common in this moment. And, and if you can focus on that, I think, I think that would be huge. What a great, you've talked to us about a lot of things. I'm going to use the word authentic, be authentic, be yourself, empathetic. These are uh, concepts that we talk about a lot in our training and glad to hear you, you uh, I mean, a lot comes down, it's not technological, it's authenticism, it's uh, or being authentic, it's being honest, it's being helpful. It's uh, really the qualities what one always associates with good sales. Yeah, Kyle, you've been great. How does somebody get to this, the library of content that you've created through uh, your division? Yep. So if you go to academy.hubspot.com, or if you just search for HubSpot Academy, we're on YouTube and all the, all the different channels. We've got hundreds of, of lessons on various topics, anything sales related, I'll at least have an appearance in and, and it's ever growing. So keep an eye on that. If you want to reach out to me personally, again, LinkedIn is my favorite right now. I'm just Kyle Jepson and you'll, you'll find me and, and let me know that, that you, you found me through Steve's podcast and I'll know where you're coming from and, and, and we'll connect and we can talk more. That is great. Thank you so much, Kyle. Thank you uh, for sharing. Marketers will gain from that. Salespeople certainly will. And I'm so glad. This is all part of our overall mission, which is not only to help salespeople in general, but to help them make more sales, because that's the thing in sales. It's not just make a sale, it's make more sales and make them easier. And nothing says more sales easier than inbound marketing. Thanks for helping us tell that story to our audience. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're welcome. This is Steve Bookbinder, your sales coach. I look forward to the next time that we speak. Thank you for listening to Food for Thought. To get your free sales playbook, visit dmtraining.net forward slash podcast. And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any of Steve's jokes and helpful resources. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.